I realized during our break, um, you never, <laughs> you never described what was in your sticky sundae. <laughs> There's nothing to describe. It's just grass. <laughs> you were just like, I'm having a sticky sundae. That's it. Patties and cream. <laughs> <laughs> patties and cream. Patties and cream. <laughs> patties and cream. Patties and cream. Patties and cream. That's what that's what was in my drink. <laughs> I'm so jealous. Of this. <laughs> I'm so upset. Welcome back to the Booked and Motherfucking Boozy podcast. Today we are going to be bringing you Atlas Six Part Two. I apologize, our boozy babe Brooke is not here for the intro, and that is because we did not mean to make this into a two part, but it became a two part because we literally don't know how to shut the fuck up. You would be surprised at the amount of shit that we cut out of this, especially under the influence. If you are new here, just know that our pure chaos and lack of organization is quite common. Me and Brooke are like the chaotic cousins that your mom always tells you not to talk too much at Thanksgiving because they're afraid that they're going to rub off on you. Hopefully we don't do the same to you, but your vibe attracts your tribe. Also, I cannot forget, happy Mercury retrograde fuckers. We are literally balls deep and not having a good time, but it's October. It is spooktober and Kingdom of the Curse is coming up. So you guys be ready, strap your titties in and enjoy Atlas 6 for now. Okay, so mid-episode check-in. Jada, how uh, how drunk are you? Um, I'm definitely like a 3.5, but I'm like in a good space now to where I can actually read. Okay, good. Were you hired? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, why is there rainbows on my computer screen? Of course I was fucking higher than that. <laughs> I was like, Jada, that's a, that's a thing that happened. It <laughs> <laughs> is a thing. Also, I pronounce, you're like saying Persia or something like that. I'm like Parissa. I said Parisia. Parisia. I literally Parisa. took Paris Hilton and was like, Sasa. <laughs> Parissa. <laughs> Sasa. So if any of y'all come in the DMs having something to say, I'm going to be like, Sasa. <laughs> Refer back to Ice Planet Barbarians for every episode. <laughs> Sasa. Sasa. <laughs> I feel like we need to do book two just for the memes. I know, right? I kind of miss it. Book two of Ice Planet Barbarians. Oh, yeah. I think we do, too. Like, something to keep us, like, unstable. <laughs> <laughs> we need something to keep us unstable? <laughs> Well, just make us appear more unstable than we actually are. So like when we do unstable things, it's like, oh, that's nothing. You should have heard them in their Ice Planet Barbarian episodes. I think it would be fitting for like December. Ice Planet Barbarians. Oh my God. Yeah, we could. We could do that. Or like even January. No, that starts our whole Zodiac Academy thing. No, that's going to be so much work. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, no, it has to be in 2021. Keep your titties on standby. So this bitch, Parissa, 
always onto something, even if it's to her own detriment, a step ahead. But she isn't the only one. Basically, mid-fuck, she's like, one of us has to die to Dalton. And literally, I could hear his dick shriveling up like paper in between the lines as soon as she said it. Also, I know she's like hot stuff or whatever, but surely she wanted to actually fuck Dalton, like by the way he is described. You know what I mean? No, Dalton is very hot to me. I don't know if you've seen The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, but he is very Nick Scratch in my brain. I dropped off after season one. So I don't think, did you meet Nick? I don't think so, because he's not familiar. Oh, he's like the love interest. Hmm. And not like the, not the first guy, like football guy, right? No, 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 no. He's a witch. Ooh. Oh, let me just send him to you. He's so hot. Okay, send. I want I want this image. <laughs> Ooh, is this some fan art you sent me? Mm-hmm. That's Libby and Tristan. Oh. Yeah, he's hot. Yeah, that's how I pictured Dalton. The second picture? Yep, that's, that's very Dalton-esque. Right? I agree. Dalton reveals to her that only five will survive and one is to die, but he will not let on any further. Have I seduced you, Ben? I think conventionally you have, and unconventionally, you torment me a bit. What would happen if I wanted you? You would have me, and, and nothing else. That's it. I want to say she, because it is a she moment, but I don't ship these two characters together. I don't ship them together either, but I fucking love Dalton. And honestly, I, I I could live without Parisia. Really? For some reason, her chapters just didn't bring me in as much as the rest of them did. It was like hers and Nico's were let down, but I like Nico as a person more than I like Parisia. I don't think her chapters really gave us a lot to actually who she is as a person. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's what's missing. I think so. Something was missing. Like I just didn't connect to her character. Dalton invites her later into his room and she does some kind of like mind voodoo Jedi type-ish something but we don't really know what that something is at this time when she finds it in Dalton's head and it's just chicken just left raw unseasoned I guess until we find out what actually she found in his head and it's still very vague to me even though they talk about it later in the book and I still don't even know but in this we find out that Dalton is an animator I don't like the killing. I'm an animator. You bring life, she says. I bring life. And he savagely kills the dude that was in his class before, telling him that he would bring him back to life when the guy that he was killing like looked him in the eyes and was like, okay, <laughs> like that's going to happen. <laughs> I'd be that other guy, the guy that got killed. I'd be like... <laughs> Yeah, you're going to bring me back? Okay, cool. <laughs> that fucking sucks. Like, everybody shit. is morally gray. Everybody is morally gray. I mean, that was kind of like, ooh, like the little villain origin story right there. Okay. I'd, I'd become a ghost and haunt the shit out of y'all. You're telling me <laughs> magic? You're telling me magic exists and I can't become a ghost to come haunt y'all? No, that's fucked up. I'm definitely coming back and haunting this society. But she was finding too much information in Dalton's head. And we come to find out that Atlas Blakely 
had been the one to pull her out. There's just so much like, I don't know, Atlas and Perissa's character, I feel like have some major like off to the side battle royale going on. And like, we are like nowhere near a part of it. Like as the readers. You think they got like a showdown going on? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Because they're, they're the same. What if they're each other's twin flames? I don't know. But like so... Atlas wanted her dead. Yeah. At the end. Yeah. So there's some major shit. And like he was also thinking originally that Parissa was going to be like an ally to him almost. And he was like, she's just not turned out to be like the ally I had hoped for. Oh, that's a good point. So, so that's enough to kill her off. Damn. I don't know. There's something that we don't know. <laughs> Again, I think there's a lot of things we don't know. <laughs> the point is, we don't know. Anyways, it's Christmas break at Hogwarts, so they have to leave the vicinities. Miss <laughs> Weasley is sending them sweaters. And everyone got a visit from the forum, minus one person who we may come to find out later that it wasn't actually a visit. Libby, this interaction reading back was interesting knowing Ezra was involved with Atlas. Even so, I don't think Ezra is completely lying to Libby when he tells her he cares about her or he's worried about her safety and that she's important to him. I almost feel like in some sick way, like she is important to him. But even Libby steps in and says, I am not yours. And despite his play in it all, I just, I think he wishes that she was. I don't think that it's a sick way. Well, okay. So I guess it really depends on at what point Libby and Ezra started dating. Did Ezra come into the picture because he knew who Lizzie, Libby was and how powerful she was and that she'd possibly get initiated? Or did he find her? And was attracted to her and then was like, oh, shit, I'm going to have to sacrifice her to the society. That we don't know. I mean, he does kidnap her and stick her in an alternate dimension. Well. (laughs) (laughs) That she can't get out of. I mean, that's true, but maybe I have Stockholm Syndrome. But like, made it for her. Like, he (laughs) says it in the book. He made it especially for her. (laughs) I'm like, oh. (laughs) Damn, it do be kind of like Tamlin Feyre. Do be kind of like trapping her in the castle. (laughs) Just saying. She storms out and heads back to the library, but finds Tristan and Parissa on the floor. And when I tell you, she, I mean, she, I was jumping and screaming because it was already spoiled for me that there was going to be a threesome. What? Yes. Oh my God. I didn't even know this book was going to be spicy. Yeah. So on TikTok, wherever TikTok realm I was in, there was like this girl that was like, I would have read this so much faster if y'all told me that there was a threesome. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Sex scenes weren't that descriptive though. No, I like hands down, like if you want my top threesome book recommendation, hit me up on the DMs because I have it. Wait, I think I want them. I'm just saying the best threesome scene I've ever seen written is like by the flock. Uh, okay, well, I own the first book. I mean, 
it just like had my jaw on the floor type ish. Like it is something else. I've heard great things. (laughs) I've heard great things about that series, but you know, somebody just decided that they wanted to spoil it for me. So (laughs) shut the fuck up. Go cry about it on the discord. Well, and I think bipartisan, I ended up spoiling it for you. Wait, spoiling what? Um, The end of the second book. What do you mean the end of the second book? Okay, well, I'm not going to reiterate. I thought I spoiled it for you on our um, on our Malibu trip, but you don't remember, so clearly it doesn't matter. It's fine. Oh, so you're fucking, like, getting on to me for giving you, like, a trope. Not well, even no. Not even technically a spoiler. And you're like, haha, I've told you, like, three <laughs> times and you still don't remember. <laughs> Threesome scene spoiled. And I had a fucking crumb to go off Libby and Tristan. And then I was like, you have to be fucking shitting me because, like, this is exactly what I wanted. I am a huge Libby and Tristan shipper i think it is because of the germany aspect but it was zero surprise for me that parissa was in the threesome from her first chapter i was like this bitch is gonna be in the threesome like whatever i kind of wanted like a little surprise like oh it wasn't parissa but she is like the perfect instigator for it it makes it believable whatever but I think Parisia is a huge Tristan and Libby shipper I think so too You know, I think that not that she didn't want to be there, but I think it was more like she was there to push them together than she was for herself. I know. And I loved it. Okay. So, but like also, I think that is a little self serving. Oh, it it is. (laughs) In the long run, because she was still trying to manipulate Tristan on her side. So she got Tristan, and then Tristan was dating Libby. That would automatically ensure her vote as well. So, right. But again, Parissa was reading both of their thoughts at the same time and was like, wow, this is sad. These two people really want to fuck each other. And now it is my immoral responsibility to make it happen. (laughs) Cha-ching. It worked. (laughs) I think it was kind of like Libby Tristan. It was like a Libby Tristan fuck show. And then Parisha was just there on the side, but she wasn't mad about being on the side. It kind of reminds me of like the threesome with Hillary Duff, <gasps> Dan Humphrey. No. Yeah, it do. It and do. Vanessa. It has that vibe. Wait, who is who? Dan is Tristan. Libby is Vanessa and Hillary Duff, whoever, whatever her character is. <laughs> Wait, is this just Gossip Girl, but a cult? <laughs> there's there's another couple that screams Gossip Girl. This is Gossip Girl, but a cult. Yeah. It that's, is. That's going to be our title. Gossip Girl. Cult. <laughs> Cult. Okay, Wait, I'm just going to so say great. it now. Wait, but I do have to also mention, I need to throw in there that The Magicians, the TV show, has a threesome that also reminds me of this. So, go watch it. Also, I think Jada would like it as well. I probably would. Never mind. I've decided I'm going to save it. I'm almost there. My, my reveal for my OTP. But... Like, it is a complete lie that she actually did anything to them. She just, like, basically held their hands in their dicks and was like, you know, like, let this unfold. Um, She just spoke their thoughts out into the void loud enough for them to hear. She was God when, like, two, like, like you know, like, when, like, a man and a girl come together and they're like, save her for Jesus. (laughs) 
precious Jesus. <laughs> when Parissa looked Tristan dead in the eye and was like, anyways, he likes you, don't you, Tristan? And I spit out my drink that I was sipping on because when he didn't deny it, I was like, oh my God. Like the ship that I didn't know I was going to get served. And I was like, give it to me. Hey. Okay. So interjection. I have made it clear that I would be interested in a threesome, but I feel like if I was put in this situation, I would have to be the third rando. So that tells me you've never had one. No, I've never had a threesome. That kind of surprises me. You know, yes, but I should have been the, like the odd person out. You know what I mean? I yeah, think I get the you. only way I would survive a threesome. No, I agree because I wouldn't like it if my man's was like all up on some other bitch. Or sh- shall I say no one else would survive the threesome if it was just me and someone that I was romantically involved in. I agree. Murder. <laughs> Murder. <laughs> so yeah, I would have to be randoed. It is what it is. Maybe that makes me a weak bitch. No, 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 because I'm right here with you. If <laughs> me and Brad had a threesome with some rando and he was like, because, you know, there's always somebody in the threesome. Let's go back to even like what you referred to, the Vanessa, Dan and Hillary Duff situation. Hillary Duff kept getting knocked on the ground, you know, and like she kept getting pushed off the bed. She was the rando technically in this situation. And it's like, even though, you know what, even though. Let me backtrack. I think Dan and Hillary Duff in that situation when they did the threesome, Dan and Hillary were involved and Vanessa was technically the rando. Mm-hmm. If I was the one being kicked off the bed. Oh, it's fucking on. Oh, my God. Murder. It's fucking on. Murder. <laughs> um, Scary interjection just from a previous comment that I have made. We're going to say this quote. From Parissa, well, because to you, sex is purely physical, when in fact the mind opens along with everyone else. To try to overpower someone's mind to make it subject to my own is a waste of time. When he's inside me, I hardly have to lift a finger to know precisely what he is, what he wants. Power. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's very interesting that both you and I kind of I guess, zeroed in on some of the things that Parisia thought inside of her mind. Because it is it is very feminist in a way if you view it through Parisia's mind, but it could also be very sexist in a way oh, 100%. if you view it through somebody else's mind. Mm-hmm. I see how she's doing it. I see the flaws in it as well, but I'm also kind of like, bitch, work with what you're giving, what you've been given, because men certainly are, and they always have been. Serve queen. I was just thinking back to the comment that where you were like, oh, that's kind of sweet. You care more about the emotional aspect of sex. And I was like, not that kind. (laughs) This is the kind I was talking about. (laughs) I laughed so hard when editing that because I was like, what do you mean? What do you mean the emotional side? I was like, because it's like sweet because they love you. You were like, no. (laughs) Power. (laughs) as much as we are kind of learning that you were a little bit more empathetic than you thought you were maybe like a few months ago 
maybe you relate to this a little bit more. Oh, no, I do. I relate. (laughs) (laughs) She says, I actively try to dig inside my husband's mind when we're having sex. It's definitely consensual, so. I Ooh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. You know, this Pisces-Pisces dynamic is actually really working well for you guys. It is. It is. The February Pisces and the March Pisces. Up. Okay. Anyways, Parissa says that I'm a top. <laughs> Parissa says, I'm not mocking you. I'd be happy to have a taste of you, Miss Rhodes, but it's not simply that you're powerful. Someone worth knowing well and fully. She broke off the tips of her fingers stroking up the inside of Libby's thigh, perhaps deeply. She turns to Tristan, kiss her and do it well. You'll have to tell me what you want, Rhodes, he said a burning moment later. She took hold of his face, pulling him close with one hand, dragging his lips to her, and he let out a sound in her mouth that was both surprise and relief. She kissed him. He kissed her back. Don't let me wake up alone, Libby whispered to Tristan, and he didn't. Now, Callum was like, I don't know what the fuck is happening in these painting rooms. The carpet smells a little off to me today. And something has definitely happened to Tristan. We just don't know what. Oh, my God. The smell factor even comes up in technically a contemporary. Fuck off. (laughs) Fuck off. (laughs) And he was like that Parissa fucking her way into his head when it was actually Libby. (laughs) Something I really like about Callum and like his empathic traits is he is really like either spot on, like knows everything, feels it, tastes it, becomes it. And then other times because he can't actually read thoughts like Parissa can, he's like so far off the grid. Like what the fuck is going on with Tristan, man? Jenna said, this is so relatable. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And when he was like, we shouldn't, we should probably just eliminate Rhodes. And Tristan was like, no. I was for sure thinking he would put two and two together, but he was like, nah, man, no way. No way. Tristan was like, I gave her my blue piece of paper. (laughs) And she gave me her pink piece of paper. And we put it together. For a sticky Sunday. Okay. <laughs> the hot glue was Parisha. <laughs> God. <laughs> oh, God. What did you do to them? He asked Parissa. Change them. Can't reverse that sort of thing. That was a peril of a thought. Worse were feelings. Feelings were never forgotten, even if their sources were. I really like that quote. And here I go again, although Callum has this sense where he can feel anything and everything, it doesn't always make him right. But when he is right, he doesn't miss a beat. His conversation with Parissa took a turn that I wasn't expecting. Walk with me, he says, divulging into her past, what she runs from, who she runs from. You've been running a long time. It wasn't your fault, you know. Did they hurt you? He asked. Her eyes dragged up to his second. Who? Everyone, he says. Her eyes shut briefly. She swayed. Yes. Callum stroked the drops from her cheeks, her lips. He pressed a kiss to the furrow 
between her brows, comforting, tender, sweet, almost. They don't have to hurt you anymore. Stepping away to leave her alone to fall to her death. Now, everybody, Titas trapped in Callum times Parissa. Next book. That's what I'm aiming for. I didn't see that coming. But at the same time, when you said you ship someone with Callum, I was like, it has to be Parisia, right? Because they're both telepaths and they hate each other. And I could see yes. loving this enemies to lovers. Yes, because not Bro. only, not only is Tristan, Nate, Archibald, not only is Callum Chuck Bass. Oh my Carissa God. is Blair motherfucking Waldorf. Oh my God. I didn't see it. And I personally resonate with Blair myself. And I didn't even. Oh my God. You're so fucking right. Incarnate. Also, side point. You can't tell me that Chuck and Nate didn't canonically fuck at some point. Oh, 100%. 100%. But oh my God. You're so fucking right. And they're perfect for each other. They are perfect. Callum and Parisia, they are what each other are missing. Like, not only in their hearts or whatever, but like their magic is what each other are missing. And together, they would be whole. And honestly, I could see them becoming a villainous couple. I want it so fucking badly. Like, I am aiming for it. Okay, but now you're going to make me really attached to Parisa because Blair Waldorf is like one of my number one. Like, I look up to her. I love Blair. <laughs> I have always loved Blair. She like, is like, okay. Gold. <laughs> I think everybody. Oh, I love Blair. Blair is my favorite character in Gossip Girl. Me too. She's the only, honestly, besides Chuck, she's really the only one with actual depth. (laughs) No, you're 100% right. I think you could argue that Dan has some, but he even has like some superficiality to him with his depth. Oh my God. I would love to do like a Gossip Girl episode with you. Yeah. I, love I think Oscar. we should definitely do that in the future. The books give you even a deeper dive into their characters. That would be super fun. That's definitely not up our alley. But because we love Gossip Girl so much, I think that would be super fun. Not in 2022, but maybe 2023. <laughs> <laughs> We're 2020, booked, guys. We 2022, booked. 2022 is booked. <laughs> Looked bad too. <laughs> right. Like it's scary to look at. <laughs> okay. But because as much as it also is within his playing cards to be the villain, I guess you could say, I feel like he's drawing it against himself in a way, especially when it comes to Parissa, which makes this dynamic like 10 times more enticing for me. And for anyone willing to fight me, like he literally killed her. Like, what are you talking about? Quoted in the book, he would not be revulsed by her choice, meaning that he did not kill her. She made the choice to kill herself inside of the astral plane. I mean, realistically, he just put the reality of everything that's happened in her life. He surfaced it where she had buried it, and it made her think those thoughts. And that is so Chuck Bass. And like the thing is, he thought that it was real. Like even when he got out of it, he was like, I thought you said no fucking astral planes. And here I am looking like a little bitch in front of everyone. But like really, 
when we're looking at Callum, everyone else is saying, oh my God, like he made her jump when really inside his head, like he is like torn apart by this. I agree. And if you go back to Gossip Girl, you will remember that Chuck and Blair were enemies for quite a time as well. It's just so good. Oh my God. I can't believe you put this together. It's this, so it's good. So, this is, it's just Gossip Girl, but a cult. <laughs> <laughs> and like, just imagine the one person she can't stay a step ahead of, can't read his mind. Like it's fucking there. Like, uh, it's just so there. But he also 100% might be gay. But I think everyone in this book is bisexual minus Raina, who is asexual asexual that's interesting because i was definitely getting like nico reina vibes i think she's asexual Mm. yeah okay but um he may diddle daddle on both sides of the spectrum who knows but i think i'm like 100 percent for this otp right here tristan is a legit fiend for libby now and it was revealed that he was far from drunk when he made the decision to sleep with her Truly, it was a craving, nothing so intentional as wanting. That Libby Rhodes was primarily a physicist was never to be discounted. Even now, her touch rumbled through his bones like the tremors of earth itself. Waking up in bed with her, her and not Parissa. I mean, like snap. Like this is, this is the dark academia relationship that I want, that I need. I also love the poetic nature of Parissa being this like attainable goddess because that's what she is. I was going to say unattainable, but that's not true. She's this attainable goddess. She is beauty incarnate. She is literally the embodiment of everything every man and woman could ever want. And yet Libby and Tristan have found each other. Tristan finds beauty and interest and just this like academic draw to Libby and her mind even if she lacks in beauty what Parissa has he finds this in her and I I love that dynamic I like how you say academia like an academia nut academia nut (laughs) academic (laughs) academic I'm a little (laughs) drunk sorry but Tristan had more problems than the thought of tasting Libby's mouth There was something about waking up naked in someone's sheets that made Tristan quite unwilling to subject her to secret group homicide. Hence the trolley problem, kill one to save the five. Tristan already knows he has to make an impending decision whether he fully knows it or not to kill slash turn on Callum. I mean, Callum. He's been struggling with the idea. (laughs) Callum. Christopher Callumness. (laughs) of like a what are these called on your fingers a phalangium no like (laughs) is it called like a callus oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) he's been struggling with the idea of choice so he finally asks why he did it why did he kill the girl his response when you feel someone's pain it is difficult to not put them out of it Sometimes when I suffer someone else's anguish, I want what they want for all of it to end. You are forced to see everything as it is, Tristan. I feel immensely. That's where like 
just putting him back in that situation, like with him and Parissa, where he's just backing away, like feeling everything that she feels. And like, he is so distraught by it, but he like doesn't stop her. I keep thinking back to the Gossip Girl reference where I wish that there had been like a middle a middle person between Blair and Chuck, but I almost feel like there was, but it just wasn't as romantic as Atlas Six makes it seem. I feel like Tristan is maybe almost like Dan. I know. I kind of think Dalton, Dalton would be Dan, Dan Humphrey. Do you now? Yeah, I think because so. Did you know there was a time where Dan was like really good friends with Chuck, but ultimately it was to his own gain. Because he was writing a book based on the, the the characters of Gossip Girl. So it was like he was like best friends with Chuck for a while. And then he fell in love with Blair. And then there was just, just this whole middle oh my ground. God, of- that was a weird. It was so weird. There was oh this my God. ground of just like Chuck, Blair, and Dan all in this like romantic love triangle. And I'm like, fuck off. That was traumatizing. I was like, get the fuck out of here, Humphrey. <laughs> I don't feel that way with Tristan, but I feel like I could in the future books if we do see Parisia and Callum's relationship blossom, but they each used this one character to their own personal gain. That's true. I love this dynamic. Okay, I want to read it again. I want to read it again now that I've established that it's Gossip Girl, but a cult. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Then I am yet confused again because Tristan goes on this astral plane accidentally and he runs into this dude and he was like, you see me? He was like, yeah, I see you. You see me? (laughs) (laughs) He was like, I've never seen another traveler. Ezra. Cough, cough. Another what? Another cliffhanger because we're moving on to Nico. (laughs) What I got out of that. Everyone wants to fuck Parissa, including Nico. But Parissa is like, even I have limits and I'd fuck you up beyond return because you're not that type. Plus, your bipanic between Rhodes and Gideon is highly unstable. And I don't really feel like dealing with the aftermath of that. Also, you need a talisman, you know, from like the movie Inception to help (gasps) you know what's real and what isn't. I thought about this, too. Also, thank you, Hans Zimmer, for the Inception music soundtrack. It is my favorite movie soundtrack of all time. Oh, my God. I haven't listened. It's so good. I listen to it, like, at least once a week. Rena. Rena. Five out of six arrows were not only sharp, they were lethal. And now they were readily aimed. A.K.A. Libby out the motherfucking loop. <laughs> Tristan. Callum, still not wholly catching on. Maybe we should kill Rhodes. Tristan, no. (laughs) (laughs) I won't kill her. I won't kill Rhodes. I can't do it. Wait, so wait, wait, wait. Does that make Libby Serena? I don't know. It makes her Serena Vanderwoodson. She's inexpendable. She's annoying, but she's inexpendable. Yeah. Oh, my God. Callum stiffened and resumed. Yes. Parissa made sure of that. Like, what a fucking Chuck Bass thing to say about fucking Blair Waldrop. Oh, my God. I want it so bad. Okay. Now I want it so bad. And then 
Parissa for the second time is telling someone else in the story through like their mind to have a talisman and she is telling it to Tristan. I am alerted by this like red motherfucking alert because I still don't understand. And all this that happened at the end could have been fucking fake. Who knows? He opened his eyes after hearing her voice in his head and finds himself with Callum again. And once they are done, he pulls the paper he stuffed into his pocket and it says a glass of wine, vintage, old world. He swears and crumples it. So what does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? I did get a little confused towards the end of this book because (laughs) when I did read that talisman, I took it as they were drinking whiskey, right? Yeah. Maybe they jumped into another reality or an astral plane where they were drinking wine in the beginning and that's the real world. And so then they jumped into whatever Callum wanted them to believe and all of a sudden they were drinking whiskey and that's the difference. Also, you could also like go down a whole road of the um, Mandela effect with this. Well, it's like, okay, here's the thing. Parissa made the astral plane in Nico's head, right? But we also know that Atlas and Parissa kind of have this same like type of skill set, right? Like what if this entire time they're all in Atlas's? Oh, fuck. Yeah. yeah god but that wouldn't make sense as to why ezra's trying to save or would it yeah because like at the same time like for example like in the movie inception like they go down into layers and layers and it's just really like i don't know it's like pricking my brain when parissa said to multiple people make sure you have a talisman Like she is like waking up or was she a part of it? Like, who knows? Listen, this is a drunk podcast. (laughs) Inception. (laughs) If it goes down this route, it's going to be, I mean, like I will do it. I I will deliver for you guys. And also I want to see where this book goes anyways. But also at the same time, I'm already very confused. I want to know, like, was there something that Atlas, like, always had in his hand or, like, was holding? Or, like... Parissa, like you said, if Parissa can create alternate worlds and Atlas has the exact same magic as Parissa, he can also create alternate universes. Yes. So, like, first question, whose head are we in? Second question, how deep does this go? Like... I don't know. And it's just weird to me how like Ezra, for example, pulls Libby out of like one of like the alternate universes, I guess you could say. Was Libby and Ezra a part of one of the alternate universes? I don't know. It's just getting like really crazy. Let's move on. Wait, wait, wait. wait. But here's here's a really interesting perspective as well, because it didn't go to Atlas's plan. Atlas's plan was for Callum to be killed and Parisia to be killed by Ezra. And neither of those things happened. So whose brain are we in? Because it's not Atlas's. It's not. 
Also, like, do you remember in Inception where they begin waking up from the dream, the dreamscape people turn on them, or like if there's someone that you're trying to trick in the dream, if they wake up, it starts to become game over. What if Parissa is that person that is waking up and is like telling them, get a talisman, get a talisman, like know what's real, know what's not real. Because Atlas expected her to be an ally and then he realized she's not. But my biggest thing is that this is not Alice's Atlas's dream reality. We're ash we're astral projecting. We are shifting. We're shifting realities. I don't know. It's not though, because this is not what Alice wanted. And Atlas could form any reality he wanted in his own brain. And this is not what he originally thought he wanted, unless he realized that he could do more with Callum. Than he originally planned, unless he did go evil at some point and was like, oh, no, wait, I need Callum to be alive. So I'm going to keep him alive and Parisia and maybe kill somebody else. I don't know. Well, to me, it's just like when in the movie Inception, when basically one of them like creates the dream and everyone else is in it. If Atlas creates this dreamscape, I guess you could say, and then people are waking up inside of it, it throws it for a loop and he has to create like other scenarios in order for them to still believe that they're in the dreamscape. It's like very interesting. I don't like that. It's very um, (laughs) mind fucky. So we'll just skip beyond over to over that for now. (laughs) Atlas tells Libby the truth. Libby is like, fuck you. I'm not doing that. Libby times two. Wait, I'm the last to know. Double fuck. Also, Libby, let's kill Callum. (laughs) Parissa storms in. Let's kill Callum. (laughs) And that's where, because it's later found out in the book, I can't remember exactly where, but we find that Atlas planted this in Parissa's head to kill Callum. Oh, shoot. Really? Oh, no, you are right. Oh, God. Yeah. So it's like all starting to circle. And then everyone turning to Tristan it's got to be you, bruh. He's like, me? I got to kill this motherfucker. Fine. Callum, this motherfucker is actually like, he's fucking trying to kill me. Like, actually kill me. I don't know if I'm impressed by the growth or offended. And it's not like he didn't start off with the obvious. Tristan's like, do you worry about dying? <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. Pull it together. Like, Callum is like, I don't know. Uh, you got to put that knife away. <laughs> this part is so chuck bass i know and because honestly it got so fucking feral like all of a sudden on tristan's ass because he was like who's your daddy not me but you wish it was don't you because no matter what i do you can't turn your back on me because of your daddy issues but you know what i have mommy issues and that's even scarier way worse than daddy issues actually so put the motherfucking knife down chuck and nate yep it really is yep who dies then tristan asks as it turns out you Colum responds And within moments, the silence was punctured by a scream, but it was not their own. It was Libby's who had been captured, but all they found was her broken body. I was a little upset that it was Libby, but I still don't disagree with the the choice. I was a little upset that it was Libby as well, but I think I would have been 
I think I would have been more upset if it was anybody else because I think the remaining yeah I think the remaining five have the ability to figure out what wrong with her what went wrong with her I'm just like a little upset because the author kept being like it's gonna be Libby it's gonna be Libby it's gonna be Libby and I'm like shut the fuck up like you're trying to steer me in the wrong direction and then it was fucking Libby I was like okay but like (laughs) die she was just yeah like I thought she was you know the whole book it was like She's going to be sacrificed. She's going to be sacrificed. And then, you know, the rest of the five think, oh, fuck, she is sacrificed, but she wasn't. It is a twist in its own way. If it did have to be anybody, it would have to be one of the two that have the exact same powers. Right. So it would have had to been Nico. I don't think. Yeah, it would have had to been one of the two. Twin I agree. Flames. Because as said, Tristan's like, what the what? Why are you guys crying? <laughs> And Nico was like literally panicked. And I mean, the rest of their mouths were open. Nico kept saying, she's here, she's here, she's here. And I'm sure she actually is. We just don't know where on the other plane. Parissa. Now, I'm really just like, what the fuck is going on? Because the five are sitting at the Slytherin table with their fucking Death Eater tats out floating in this bitch over the table named Vivian for their sacrificial replacement because Libby's in quotation mark dead. My real question is which of these motherfuckers is Snape? That's all. Which one is Voldemort and which one is Snape? That's the fucking question. Oh, a Gossip Girl Harry Potter collab? It is so fantastic. Oh my God. And then, okay, here we go. Dalton says something that just got me questioning the entire fucking book. Like the entire book. Not that I've already been questioning it, but I'm really questioning it now. What is it? She asked Dalton. Do you know why he wants you? It's because you know how to starve. Typing in the word starve into this book, because that is like such a, just like, like a strong word. And it's said multiple times over this book. And like, these are the highlights that stuck out to me. Page 310. Most people don't know how to starve, but still you never forget it how to starve. After learning how to starve, you become a hoarder. You can learn how to starve, but you can't learn how to have Ezra to Atlas. Now this motherfucker on page 336 with Dalton. Okay. I feel the betrayal of Ezra was premature for a reason and I'm scared of that reason and I don't exactly know what it is yet especially when we jump to page 376 after Ezra was capturing Libby in quotation marks Ezra knew how to starve and Atlas knew how to wait that's creepy Ezra leaves and steps into another secret society and says the six most dangerous humans, human beings alive are all under Atlas Blakely's care. One has been neutralized, which should buy us some time. And another has been eliminated by the society itself. But the other four will bear the enormity of either our extinction or survival. We have one year until they emerge again from its protection. <laughs> whatever that means but the thing is it's gonna be a major literally like double fingers up when they realize that Callum's Callum not is not dead yeah and then I gotta get into the book because I don't think it's a coincidence that she decided to put Dalton 
as the last point of view when we haven't really gotten a point of view from him. Hmm. He says, Rome falls, he wanted to say, everything collapses, you will too, you will soon. But before Dalton could bring himself to speak, he looked up at the mirror surface of the reading room's glass and saw behind him the face of Atlas Blakely, who was the reason he still existed in any form. He had needed walls and addicts, and Atlas had given given them to him in the form of a purpose. It was Atlas who had promised him that there would be an end, a conclusion to the hunger, completion of the cycle. He had taken away the chains of Dalton's invulnerability and given him what he needed most, the one thing the others might not find on their own, an answer. Was there such a thing as too much power? In the glass, a little manic glimmer flashed behind Dalton's eyes, a glimpse of who he'd once been, past lives, ill-fitting. But this answer Dalton Ellery knew, as the initiatives would soon learn, because it was the only answer, even if it was the worst one, the least comforting, the most limitless. Yes, but as the world itself will tell you, something put into motion and it will not stop. You know, what I'm, I, oh man, my mind's fucked. My brain's tired. It was a good book. You know what I'm just realizing? I stopped after 377. <laughs> You didn't finish I didn't, the book? I didn't read the end part. Oh, my shit. I was like, none of that sounds familiar. Why does that not sound familiar? So I grabbed my book. And I was like, oh, because there's three additional pages <laughs> that I have not read. So there's that. Her brain was like, no more. I am tired. <laughs> I was tired, okay? I was tired. This book was hard to read. It was good. It was so good, but it was hard to read. Okay, let's get to the fucking discussion. Jada said, Brooke, you go first, because I think she has a lot to say this episode, which I'm excited. I know. I was like, normally it's just me like, Brooke. (laughs) So I was like, let's switch it up. I actually have some like more than three talking points so (laughs) okay my first one is I somehow knew going into this that one was going to have to die I don't know if that was spoiled for me on the many TikToks I've seen of this book or if I just assumed that's what elimination meant so I was not surprised at all when I found out that that was going to be a thing I also think it has to do with the genre itself I agree I will say that it does seem like a waste to me, though. And if you've stuck around for, like, some of our podcasts and listened to our Akatar episodes, we've talked about the Illyrian blood rite before. This does feel very Illyrian blood rite to me. And the fact that they are giving up or sacrificing someone that has a lot of value. And it's like, what's the point? Like, just keep the person and have a lot of strength. I think they try to make it evident that, like, magic needs sacrifice in the book. But it also did not come very full circle for me. So that's where I struggled. As I've said before, I did not like the Gideon sad plot. It seemed off topic to me. And the idea of putting non-human creatures in this book was kind of off-putting. I'm mad that we still don't know Tristan's true potential. Because from the beginning of the book, that was a mystery. It was like, what can Tristan do beyond what he already knows he can do? And we still don't know. So that's great. I mean, we kind of have an idea though, right? Because he can like basically time travel 
in a sense, but we're in the very beginnings of that. So as you said, we have an idea, but still very unsure. I have a whole section here for Callum because to me, he's the most interesting character. Mm -hmm. If given the chance to have, quote, the force, that's a Star Wars reference, because if you go back, you'll remember that like people with the force can manipulate other people's thoughts like Callum does. I think everyone would use it to their advantage. And if you wouldn't, that you are lying. By nature, anyone with this power could begin their life inherently good and could still use their powers for good. But that potential to abuse it would always be there. I think it would probably feel like a part of him, his powers, for him to use without second thought. I don't think by nature Callum is a bad person. I think he became who he is because of the magic he was dealt. And I think anyone could succumb to his mindset with access to that kind of magic. Well, even Atlas, um, upon like their first interaction, well, he doesn't ask, but he like says to Callum, with your type of gift, I don't know how you still haven't done it yet. And then even Callum is like, I don't even know why I haven't done it yet either. Exactly. So I don't necessarily think by default. I also think that it's a really that it's really interesting in the way that the author writes this book about Callum influencing other people with his magic, because we as readers don't really know what to believe about him, even when we're in his own thoughts. We hear what he says to others and don't know if it's manipulation or the truth. Callum, as the character in this book, is also influencing us as the readers. It's 100% like 100% agree. It's breaking the fourth wall. And even like if Callum says or does something and we see it in his own perspective, he could still be manipulating us. Exactly. It's breaking the fourth wall. Okay, Jada, out of the five magic systems that we've seen in these characters, whose magic would you most like to have? Libby slash Nico. Reyna, Tristan, Callum, Parisha. I feel like out of all the characters, like if I had to relate it to what my life was already like, I would say I like identify a lot with some of the things that Callum says. However, because I already have an idea of what it feels like sometimes, I don't want his magic. Parissa, I don't think I would want hers either. Because I feel like I already have a difficult time like turning things off. Like when I have other like energies around me, I already have a like a hard time just turning it all off and it like sometimes will overwhelm me. So I feel like actually being able to read other people's minds would really fuck with me because I wouldn't know how to turn it off. I don't think I could. I think I would want to have Tristan's. Really? Yeah, I think I would want to have Tristan's. Why? Um, Just because like sometimes I feel like even, you know, I like wrap myself around like multiple thoughts and like processes like it's it's basically like anxiety or like depression, whatever it may be like, even though like I may have like a sense of reality, part of that reality is disturbed, like because I am unintentionally letting it. What I really like about Tristan's magic is that he can see through it and he has like this very like straightforward idea 
well, not necessarily straightforward. He has like internal conflicts, but when it comes to people and people's magic and things that he can see, he really breaks it down for what it is. Where sometimes I'm seeing things, I'm feeling things, and I get too wrapped up in it. So I envy that part of Tristan. What? You're on mute. <laughs> Whoops. I've, for like the fourth time, you want clarity. Yeah. That makes sense. Because I feel like you do get a lot of maybe psychic, I don't know if t- intentions is the right word, but you do get a lot of um, skewed messages from the universe and you don't really know clearly what it's telling you. So I could see why you would choose that. Right. For me, I wrote, like you, your first intention, your first instinct was to choose Callum's magic. I said, Callum is still the most alluring to me. Maybe that makes me a psychopath. I don't really care. (laughs) But I also have no interest in like world domination like Callum does. I would just love to go into like a Gucci store, for instance, and Obi-Wan Kenobi, the sales lady, into giving me free shit. Here's some other things that I would do with Callum's powers. I would convince whoever the veterinary lead of the world is to stop euthanasia for overcrowded animal shelters. Stop that shit. It's inhumane. Number two, I would convince the government that weed should be legalized everywhere and also convince them that health care is a right as well that abortions are health care. I would convince Ticketmaster CEO to always give me a free BTS and Ariana Grande floor seat tickets or at least let me in the queue first. I would also convince BTS and Ariana to consider me a friend so that I can hang out with them. But of course, I would let nature take its course with BTS because love spells, according to witch talk, are bad. I would convince Victoria Aviar to notice me. I would convince Christians that their beliefs do not need to impact the actions of others who do not believe what they do. And finally, I would convince my family members to get vaccinated. Ladies and gentlemen, the thens, the theys, and the gays, that is our president. <laughs> Brooke motherfucking Britain. <laughs> that's all I want. <laughs> Obviously, there's always the potential for evil and taking away autonomy with this kind of magic, but that's a risk I'm willing to take. <laughs> Listen, all I want in life is to be content and happy and in true Libra fashion. That means getting what I want and that of which being the finer things in life without having to work. Having this kind of magic would allow me to sugar daddy my fucking self into getting the life that I want. The end. We love it. I like this. It it do be making sense. Yeah. Okay. Tristan plus Callum equals, Mm -hmm. are they touching dicks? I feel like they're touching dicks. Yeah, but I also think that Nate Archibald and (laughs) Chuck Bass touched dicks at one point as well, so. I agree. (laughs) I didn't put this connection together until we started recording. But yeah, now that I think about it, 100 fucking percent likes and dislikes, love the main characters and their magic chosen for each of them. I think that was a great job on the author's side. I love, love, love any books about societies or cults, anything like that. I love the dark shit. Um, I also love moral ambiguity, which I think we talked about earlier. Dislikes. I disliked how creatures were brought into this narrative which i thought was just going to be human-based 
I didn't like the flowery writing style, but I think that's also a dig on myself because this book is exactly how I wrote papers in high school and college. Used a lot of um, adjectives and adverbs and just made it really artistic. I think it's very beautiful. It's not that I didn't like it. It's just like it wasn't what I was expecting for this book. And it's not typically what I like to read when I'm trying to just escape reality. I don't I appreciate. Know. I mean, I think it was exactly what I was <laughs> expecting for this book. I appreciate it for what it is, though. And I commend the author 100% for being able to write in the way that she does. I thought there was too much description slash monologue and not enough dialogue. It lost me a little bit in that there wasn't a whole lot going on. It was just like a lot of the characters' feelings and thoughts, which was interesting in some of the characters' chapters, but not so much in others to me. And finally, I felt like there was too much experimentation and not enough action or just not enough of things that were actually happening in general. There was a lot of like, let's take these electrons and make a wormhole to space. And I was like, that's cool and all. But like, I want more things to happen than theories, which is why I like secret magic societies better. And what I mean by that is like where there's mostly humans in the world like non-magical, quote, muggle humans. And magic exists, but the humans don't know that. And then the people who are tapped into the society realize that they are magical and kind of come into themselves in that aspect. Because usually more action happens when they don't realize magic already exists before they're initiated. So finally, I think this could be considered a classic in the future, in the way that it's written, especially. The writing style... The structure, it, it did it did feel like a classic for me. And especially also the jumping and time without warning. It was very Stephen King. I just felt like there were a lot of elements taking from taken from a lot of different authors, but the author also was able to make it her own. And it just felt very like I could see people reading this a hundred years in the future and writing papers on this in their English class. No, I think this is a very intelligent book and it has a lot of depth and it's multidimensional. You can feel it. You can kind of like jump into the characters. You're even influenced by the characters. I, I agree with you. Cool. Okay, lastly, since we've been talking about it this whole chapter, I added it while we were talking. Gossip Girl, let's put each character to a Gossip Girl character. We've already said Callum is Chuck Bass. We said Blair's Parisia. And we said Nate Archibald is Tristan. Okay. So left, we have Nico, Libby, and Raina. Who is that one girl that like goes to the Christian camp? Like, what is her name? Georgina. Okay. So I am a little confused on Libby and Ezra. I'm still thinking that one through. But so far, my lineup is Raina. As Georgina, Nico as Jenny Humphrey, Atlas as Serena, Dalton as Dan Humphrey, Tristan, Nate, Colum, Chuck Bass, Parissa, Blair Waldorf. I feel like I need to write that down. I don't know what Libby is. See, I kind of thought Libby was Serena. Um, I thought Libby was kind of like an intelligent Serena. If you take academics out of it, I feel like they're the same character because everybody is trying to protect fucking Serena Vanderwoodson. Like, and like Libby has a lot to show for it, just like Serena does. She's beautiful. She's kind. 
she has a lot of social aspects and Libby is very intelligent and she has a lot of potential. I don't know. Atlas is just like the villainized Serena that I always wanted. Hmm. Why so? I don't know. I always felt like Serena could have been like more of a villain than a protagonist. But then there would be too many villains because people saw Blair, Chuck, and Georgina as villains. And Jenny. And Vanessa. Yeah, but every single one of these people in this book, they're also, in a way, villains. Every single one of them. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know. I'm just like, justice for Serena. (laughs) I don't know. I see Libby as Serena, Vanessa as... Reyna because she's a little bit more outcast people still kind of trust her in a way because they don't know her oh, yeah much. I was missing that one okay you know so then Vanessa is Reyna and then Georgina would be Ezra Georgina is Ezra 100% yeah that's where I was missing the Gemini and then Nico Nico kind of has some Nate Archibald vibe oh you could almost say that oh Nico is the um Rufus mm. the dad I don't know. Sweet, hot, kind of himbo, doesn't really know what's going on, is just kind of there, powerful and hot, but doesn't really know what's going on. To me, that's Rufus. I don't know. I'm not there with that. Or or you could even say Serena's little brother who ended up. Yeah, I'm I'm like sitting here trying to think like who does he fit? And I'm like, possibly. Um, Eric. Eric. (laughs) Eric, yeah. But it would be have to, it would have to be someone because Eric and Jenny were really like frenemy types. Who did you say was Jenny? I said Jenny was Nico. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Jenny and Nico. What about Gideon? Gideon could be the Gideon's, little brother. Gideon needs to die. <laughs> okay. Gideon's getting in the way. Yeah. Gideon is the only reason that Nico is there. And like we're just trying to keep him alive. And I have no other substance to him. Maybe if him and Nico were like together, I would be like, oh, you have some worth. <laughs> but at this point, I'm just kind of like, you're getting in the way. I think we should come back to this with the, after the next book, like really hone in who we think. You know, Jenny Humphrey kind of got in the way. Yeah. And so did, did. Yeah. Gideon's Jenny. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Okay. Right? Yeah. I don't know. I think that was a very thought-provoking exercise. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most thinking we've had to do in a while. <laughs> okay, Jada, what about you and your um, discussion points? Okay. Um, again, my initial thoughts, we are so fucked. I don't think we were fucked, actually. It just was a little intimidating at first, you know, from going to very smut to this. I was like, oh, shit. It. <laughs> it was definitely different, but I enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, character art in this book is fucking phenomenal. Like, I love everything about it. It gets me weak in the knees. Wait, Just... can we go through each one and decide who who is who? Oh, yeah. I can tell you who is who. Because I didn't know. I just, I honestly just made up images in my head because I didn't know. The first one's Libby, right? Yes. That's Libby. Okay. And so then that means this one would have to be Callum with blonde hair. Yes. But see, I, did, I didn't understand his his description until like the end of the book. So my brain already made up. And we don't even actually really know what he looks like, too. An image, mate. An image of him. Well, he's blonde. That's all Yeah, all but, like, remember Tristan sees him differently than everyone else. 
Ooh, is that the secret? Because remember, there was a secret between Tristan and Callum. Yes. Is um, it maybe it's different. Because remember, Tristan was like, I really would like to step in one of their heads just to see what he looks like, what he looks like to them. Oh, shoot. I didn't even put that together. Mm-hmm. But like he is the son of the CEO of a beauty illusionist mm-hmm. company. Ooh, so that makes sense. Okay, who's this? I don't know who that is. That's Nico. That's Nico? Because I thought there was somebody at the end that looked like Nico. So I thought this was Atlas. No, that is Tristan. See, I never got the description for Tristan. Maybe I just accidentally read over it. So I just made one up in my head for him. But I knew Atlas was described as a POC. So that's who I thought that was. So that's Tristan. You know, like a name underneath would be really helpful. (laughs) I kind of think she should have done that as well. (laughs) Okay. So then who's that? Dalton. Oh, but why is he being pulled by his shadows? Well, remember like when Parissa was inside his head, like there were like multiple of him. Multiple of him? Yeah. Like there was like different parts of him. I think it's symbolic to that. And the fact that like he's an animator. Okay, well, that helps because I didn't know who the fuck was who except for like maybe three of them. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. As we've kind of talked about before, it's going to turn into a time traveling inception book in number two, 100% here for it. Atlas fears Parissa and wanted Callum dead. And then he eventually also wanted Parissa dead. I don't think that's a coincidence. Um Some of my favorite quotes of all time has jumped out of this book. Like Brooke was saying, this almost feels like the beginning of a classic or what is going to be called a classic eventually. And I I don't know. I had to sit and think about this book after I finished it. But I remember I texted you like upon rereading. I was like, this is a fucking masterpiece. Um, Also, congratulations to the author because this was originally published indie. And I think she just recently got under a publishing house for the next books. Oh, shoot. Okay. Yeah. I hope that doesn't mean that the covers and the size change. The covers are changing. Um, There is going to be a different cover, but I like it. This one is so good. I know. I like it too, but there is going to be a cover change. Yeah. Boo. Okay. (laughs) I hopped on the Tristan Times Libby team early as fuck, like way before the threesome. And when it was a threesome, my brain literally exploded because I just did not expect it to be them too. I don't know why, but sometimes I do feel bad for Nico because it's literally, it's like so clear. He is hopelessly in love with her in some form or fashion, but they're like, I even wrote here, but I feel like he is more of a twin flame than a love interest. And that's why there's like so much confliction sometimes. You know, it was really yucky to me when I realized that this could either go in a love interest direction or like a sibling's direction, a sibling's friendship direction. It felt really yucky to me because it could really go either way. Yeah. All right. You know? Moving on. <laughs> I need more info on Dalton. How is he wrapped up with Atlas and Ezra? That is my main question. Where does he really lie or does he actually have his own agenda? Especially what exactly is he researching and why is he the only one who can find the answer to it? Because not even Atlas knows. 
And he stayed back. I mean, I think that there is a quote about Dalton towards the end of the book where it's like some people really want to make an impact on the world. Other people know the potential, but they want to do what makes them happy. I mean, that's not the correct wording, but it's like it's like do smaller things. Yeah. On a greater aspect. And I think Dalton was like, as somebody, I think it was Parisia was like, and that's you? And he was like, yeah, or something like that. It was towards the end. But it still wasn't resolution enough for me as to why he would stay back. So I do still feel like there's another reason. Right, especially when that last excerpt that I read, we ended in his perception when we haven't really had a point of view from him. Oh, yeah, the part that I haven't read yet. (laughs) Yes, the part that she has not read yet. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was interesting that the author chose to save his point of view for very last when we haven't really had it. Well, and it's very interesting if you go back. um, There is a Dalton, but it's in the very beginning. What do you mean? Dalton's in the whole book. No, no, no. Like his specific point of view. Isn't there a Dalton point of view in the very beginning and then the very end? There might be. I can't remember. That in itself is very trippy inception worthy. So it begins and ends with him and that. But it doesn't tell you. So that's trippy. And that in itself, it's like, oh shit. Because he is also an animator and he's working closely with Atlas. Or maybe. Not working close. Not only is he working closely with Atlas. Atlas saved him when it was his group's time to be initiated. Atlas was the odd man out. Or Dalton was going to die. He was odd man out. They were going to kill him. And Atlas came in and saved him and persuaded him to move in a different direction. There's something about Dalton and Atlas together that is deeper than we know as well. So I'm like, oh my God, like what if Atlas is creating the plane inside of Dalton's head because it begins and ends with him? But we're in Dalton's head two different times in the story already and it's not where we already are but I'm just thinking about the connection where it was very odd like I just remember it being placed very odd where when Libby's body was found in quotation marks they were saying oh let um let Dalton look at the body because this is clearly done by an animator not someone who can just create illusions and then Dalton was like, I know who created this. But it wasn't Dalton. If you remember correctly, it was Ezra. Ezra went to Gideon's mother and said, I need an animation and gave her an animation human. And then he had to put whatever face he was most familiar with on top of it. So he was planning on making that animation Parisia. But he was like, I don't know Parisia personally, so it's going to have to be Libby. So he put Libby's face on it and took her out of the game. I don't know. It was 100% intentional where she put him first and last. I agree as well. I just don't know what the purpose is yet. I identified very strongly with one of the characters' mindsets to the point it actually started freaking me out. Who? Callum, actually. I agreed with a lot of what he said as well. When he starts talking about like the way he feels things from people and like how sometimes he just has to shut it all off, I 100% resonated with. Even in like 
therapy, like we're discovering, like I have like this emotional switch that I shut off because it's either I feel too much or I feel nothing at all. So I choose to feel nothing. And sometimes it's because I'm feeling everything around me or other times it's because I am feeling memories or I am feeling trauma like that is like within my body that has not gone away yet because it still exists and I don't know I feel like some of the things that he said where he just wishes that he could shut it all off or sometimes he does or when he begins to feel something for someone or like feels what they're feeling so deeply he almost begins to take it on himself like related to a lot I could definitely see that and again I do feel like that that's where it kind of circles back around as to if is Callum making us sympathize for him intentionally. I don't know. I just feel like there's more there. I do too. And I'm really hoping the best for this character, actually. Yeah, me too. He's he's the most interesting one, in my opinion. And I feel like if there was a Snape and there was like a Voldemort sitting at the table, I feel like Callum would be the Snape and atlas is the voldemort either that or dalton i still kind of feel like dalton is probably atlas's puppet but i mean that could change right like it's kind of like hard to say because it's like if you think about the motive atlas has motive for this and then dalton has gotten wrapped up in it somehow because atlas had like the hunger that he craved what he needed and so But what happens when he finds the answer that he's looking for that only he can research, he can study? Where does his own motives come into play and how will that outdo Atlas? So we'll see. I'm not really sure yet. What I liked about the book, the characters were palpable, layered, always left me with wanting to know more about them. The writing is intelligently beautiful. There is no doubt about that. What I did not like, the ending started to feel rushed to me, but I understand with the upcoming sequel, the book was trying to wrap up to expand later. And it seemed like something that would be very hard to wrap up. So still, it's not necessarily like, it's like a love-hate type thing. Like it left me wanting more, but I didn't like it, which I think is how I'm supposed to feel. And then also all of a sudden, it was just Libby having ex-boyfriend problems which was a little bit foreseeable. And I was just kind of like, that's it. We're going to go that route. Okay, moving on. (laughs) I mean, I didn't see the Ezra twist coming. So I appreciated it. But it was kind of like a little like, this is getting a little bit more outside of the reality that I was hoping it was going to stay in. Yeah, I don't know. I felt like she always had a purpose for every single character. And having Ezra as like just Libby's purpose didn't seem enough for me. So I was like, there has to be something more. Also, I don't know if it was the fact that he had the same name as Ezra in Pretty Little Liars. Yes. And I was like, "Mm, can't trust that shit. (laughs) I'm right there with you. (laughs) So I think that is where I had my suspicion, like just in the name alone biased (laughs) (laughs) all right jada how drunk are you i am like a 1.5 now i'm in a very like 
good space, just ready to take on my fucking day, the hours I have left (laughs) (laughs) till hell. (laughs) What about you? How drunk are you? Um, Same. I only have a few hours left until hell as well. Now that I have a job and uh, mine come a little bit sooner than yours. So that sucks because I'm also like a four. That's not good. (laughs) (laughs) It's getting worse, not better. I just, I self-sabotage. I think I'll be able to get stuff done still. I'm just a little, I'm a little concerned. How do you rate the book? I rate it five out of five. Upon first reading though, it was more like a four out of five for me, but reading it back, there's like no way this is a five out of five book. So I will say that it is a five out of five book. However, I do want to preface by saying for whatever reason, this book is different than most books I read and that I think it's a five out of five book, but I think my enjoyment level made it a four out of five. Yeah, that's kind of where I was. And like with the first read through that is based purely off of enjoyment, right? Almost. At least for us, it is. I think it's interesting. We both kind of rated it that way. I think it just came down to that it read like a classic, which we have discussed. Um, It was a little bit more intricate, a little bit more intelligent than at least for me personally, I was expecting. And with small peapod brains, (laughs) my small brain was having a hard time comprehending it. I was having to read like several sentences a couple times, which like when I want to dissociate into a book series, I don't really want to have to think doesn't mean I didn't enjoy the book. I enjoyed the book. I thought it was great. I think it's five out of five for what it is. But at the same time, me having to think a little bit more than I usually do when I read a book, um, that that is what made it a four out of five for me. So. <laughs> oh, God. I had to think. Therefore, I rated it lower. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, same, though, especially like, I mean, this was the week that you started your job, too, right? And so, yeah. Yeah, I know sometimes like the last thing I want to do when I get off work is like have to think about something. So the book having to force you to think you're like, nah, hell nah. I've already been doing that all day. Now I have to read 200 pages <laughs> like fuck off. Yeah. All right. Current read and watch. Jada, what are you current reading and watching? The next book on my radar is Gothicana. <laughs> That's on my radar, too. I had downloaded this because it was free on Kindle Unlimited and it looked good and it had the academia vibe that I was looking for. It's supposed to be dark. Also, I've read The Love Hypothesis and it has fucked me up for life. I mean, literally like the professor slash like not necessarily student, but like post-grad ideology was there upcoming in that book apparently according to tiktok so tiktok if you fail me on this um fuck you for the 50th time you've done it again but (laughs) i feel like i need to just go on my wattpad and find you a bunch of kylo ren fan fiction i feel like that's why you enjoyed it i think i should just insert self into kylo ren fan fiction yeah your name I'll find you some your name fan fiction. (laughs) But that is up next on my reading list. I hope to get through it before Kingdom of the Curse comes out. Because I think when it comes out, I will literally read it within like a day. I'll stay up all night for it. Are you watching anything? No. What are you watching? (laughs) 
I really don't watch TV. <laughs> so I am currently reading nothing as I finished this book yesterday. Um, the Merciless by, I can't remember her name, something Vega, something Vega. Um, I'm going to read that, but maybe not before Kingdom of the Curse comes. Kingdom of the Curse is probably my next read. And then we will, of course, have an episode out for that next week as well, which we are really excited about. Honestly, don't let me down, Carrie. <laughs> Every other new release has been womp, a letdown. Womp. <laughs> womp, womp. I am currently watching American Horror Story Apocalypse. Uh, we've got a running, I don't know, chat where we talk about all things Spooktober. So people are recommending scary movies, scary TV shows, scary books, that sort of thing, even putting in some of their Halloween decor. And um, I have just been on there chatting about American Horror Story. So I watched Coven with our group. And then they were like, you have to immediately go to hotel. So that's what I did. I watched hotel. It was eh. I didn't really care for hotel. But now Apocalypse is really fucking good. And I'm almost done with that. So I'm really excited to see how that ends. That wasn't meant to be a promo, but it ended up being one. Join our Discord. (laughs) (laughs) On Patreon. (laughs) Please. (laughs) Socials. We are Booked and Boozy Podcast on Instagram. Follow us there for all of our updates, for all of our polls. We check all of our DMs as well. Um, And we just love interacting with you guys on there. Um, If you didn't decide to join Discord, Discord, that is definitely the place to be because we do answer our DMs. Also, follow us on TikTok at Booked and Boozy Pod. We are going to try and do more updates for books that we are reading off to the side for the podcast. So check us out there. Our Patreon is also Booked and Boozy. Um, so that's where you can find the link for our Discord if you join for a $5 tier. And that is also the handle for our Twitter. And last but not least, it is Spooktober season. So if you would like to send us anything to our Gmail account where you know we are going to read it and possibly use it in a witching hour episode, hit us up at bookedandboozy at gmail.com. Bye, witch. Bye, witch.